Welcome back to the IoT Podcast. I'm your host, Tom White. Every week, we are joined by the biggest names in IoT to unravel the trends, misconceptions, and predictions for the Internet of Things. Before we get into today's episode, don't forget to subscribe on whichever platform you're watching or listening on and turn on that notification bell so you're never out of the loop. I'm really excited to wrap up our mid-season finale with none other than Deloitte's global IoT leader, Helena Lizasuk, and global chief IoT architect and returning guest, Tim Paradeans. In this episode, we'll be exploring the changes that they've observed in their business and discussions surrounding IoT this year, the significant opportunities and how to get there, as well as new regulatory introductions that are set to impact the IoT business in coming years and how we're going to keep ahead of this curve. Trust me, guys, this is not one to be missed. And now a word from our sponsor. Are you ready for the annual IoT Security Foundation Conference? the world's longest running conference dedicated to IoT cybersecurity. This year, the event will be exploring topics like the future of artificial intelligence, with best practices and regulations presented by industry leaders, including members from ARM and the BT Group. But that's not all. When you attend, you'll have the chance to connect with a diverse range of exhibitors across the IoT security ecosystem, including our team at the IoT Podcast and 5D Media. It's a networking opportunity like no other, and we hope to see you there. Visit iotsecurityfoundation.org forward slash conference to reserve your spot today. Don't miss out on the future of IoT cybersecurity. Before we get into the episode, shout out to our sponsor today, 5D Tech. 5D Tech are specialists in finding people who make technology a force for good in the world. They bridge the gap between talent and deep tech businesses around the globe. Click the link in the description to find out more. Welcome to the IoT podcast. Pleasure to be back for this the season's finale. And welcome, Helena, and welcome back, Tim. Hey, Tom. Nice to Hello. see you. Hello. Nice, nice to see you. And uh, Tim, you know, pleasure to have you back on. And, and this time you're bringing a, a guest with you, Helena. So. Um, Without further ado, maybe we can do a quick quick bit of intro so people know who you are and what and uh, what it is you do. So maybe Helena, as you're new to the podcast, could you explain <laughs> who you are and, and your background in IAT, please? Sure, absolutely. Uh, well, it's an absolute pleasure to be here, especially coming back together with Tim as Tim's special guest. And Tom, fantastic to, to be your guest as well. Um, I'm Helena Lisachuk. I'm a partner at Deloitte, and I look after our Internet of Things practice globally. Actually, together with Tim, we started the practice, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, when, you know, industrial Internet of Things was still kind of a concept. People were trying to make sense out of it. Uh, We felt it was very interesting, very compelling ability to work with pretty cool partners and new technology, as well as solve some new problems that were not solved before. So that was sort of the motivation for us to get started. And of course, you know, working for Deloitte for us, it's not just about playing with technology, which we've done a lot and we continue doing so, but it's really about applying it in the right way and finding the value we bring to our customers and partners and ourselves. So we'll start with that too. And I think my background, 
Uh, I don't have a degree in IoT, okay? Uh, when I went to school, sorry, I'm not that young. We didn't really have IoT as discipline, but I did study semiconductors and business, and I'm doing my best to combine the two in the okay. world of IoT. So that's a little bit about me. Excellent, excellent. It's interesting you say semiconductors and business. I think that's the first time I've ever met anyone that did something very similar to me. So, really? <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I studied two degrees, and one was in business and one was in embedded development. Uh, so it's very rare to see someone someone do both. So um, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure we'll have a lot to chat about later. Fantastic, uh, Tim. And uh, quick quick intro to you. Obviously, you've been on the podcast before, but for those who haven't listened to that episode yet, uh, could you explain who you are, Tim, and what you do within Deloitte? Yeah, sure, Tom. Um, for those who have seen me before, I'm still um, working in IT as I'm a partner in the in the Brussels firm, but working very closely to Helena in the global team. So I. I act as a global chief IoT architect uh, for, for whatever that means. So that means that whenever we talk uh, about IoT technologies, um, I try to bring a perspective on what works, what does not work, in which ecosystem you can develop the solutions, um, how to create a business model around it that can be meaningful, but also what are the consequences in, in business going forward. Uh, um, one of the things we will discuss later on is how easy or uneasy it is um, in our European context to build new solutions uh, that can be sustainable over a longer period of time. Uh, but, uh, but happy to share some thoughts around that uh, later on the podcast. Excellent, excellent. Well, welcome both to the show. I really appreciate it. Obviously, having um, anyone from Deloitte onto our show to talk about IoT is, 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 quite, the, is quite the significance, right? You know, Deloitte is very well known, established business. So uh, first question for me really to kick off with is, is to talk about, you know, trends and developments in IoT and kind of what you're discovering within the organizations that you're working with at the moment. So um, everyone comes at this from a slightly different angle, but what are you mostly being involved with at the moment and what do you see being developed in IoT currently? Shall I start, Tim? Uh, and we'll get a tag team, yeah? Uh, all right. So, so I think there are a number of things. On one hand, we could answer this question from maturity of technologies, but the other way to look at the uh, trends in terms of adoption of this technology, right? And where the demand is coming from and where is the hot, hot topics are coming from. So what we see now, which is maybe different from a couple of years ago, is the overall understanding and appreciation of what IoT technologies could provide in terms of generation of the value, right? And IoT for us is not just about the sensor that captures information, right? And passes somewhere in the cloud. For us, it's about end-to-end -end solution, right? So yes, sensor is likely to be there that will detect something happening in the physical world. But then there are various types of communication technologies that allow that information to be transmitted to the cloud or it's stayed in an intelligent edge setting, right? So you have no cloud communication and then that something happens and some insight triggers behavior back in the physical world. So that's what we call, you know, physical to digital loop and back. So these solutions that we are looking at are using all kinds of technology that is becoming very, very normal nowadays from advanced com communication technologies. And I will not steal Tim's standard because I know how much he wants to talk about 5G and intelligent edge. So I'll skip that, that's for Tim. Um, but also ability to leverage, um, you know, edge AI, for example, generative AI, 
it's there, right? So our solutions become much more advanced and sophisticated. And of course, also what's happening is the price point of some of these technologies is becoming much more affordable. So we are able to create solutions right now that, you know, five, five years ago, were simply A, non-existent, B, not affordable. So that is a big shift that's happening. What's also happening is large companies, large enterprises are becoming more aware of this topic. And instead of saying, hey, let's build a pilot for, let's say, predictive maintenance, we are talking about major programs that the leadership of these organizations is behind. And it's not just, okay, you may start with a pilot, but you already think about scale. And this is becoming a norm. Now, what we also see is um, connected products, not just connected cars, but connected appliances, intelligent products are also becoming quite normal. So again, if five, six years ago, we were talking about industrial IoT being where the, everything is happening, right? Like predictive maintenance, asset intelligent use cases. Now we talk about consumer IoT also becoming quite mature and mainstream. And of course, the other thing that is happening now is um, the governments uh, are becoming much more digital, much more aware of the citizens' needs, much more compliant with the policy, of course. Um, you know, if you take an ESG topic, for example, or electrification, or, you know, any of these, they all have some IoT implication, or you need IoT to enable it, right? So that is another big thing. So much sustainability topics, you know, every day, I, I don't think I will lie if I say Tim and I every day always have a conversation about use cases, using IoT technology in sustainability, energy management, you know, energy transition, something on that topic. It's just the norm right now, you, you, you know. So, so I think these are sort of key things and, and shifts that I am seeing, and there are some other cutting edge trends, but I would like to save it for later. But these are kind of the key shifts that I'm observing. And maybe Tim, you, you want to elaborate on some of your views. Now, if I look at it and just comparing last year to this year, I think we are having another conversation. Last year, we were still um, saying, does the internet of things really exist? Yeah, because it's not there yet. Um, not for a lot of companies. We are, we're somewhere in, in between understanding the value of, of what it can bring, but also understanding what a client wants to pay for that initial service that we're offering. Uh, now I'm, I'm having more scale-up conversations. So what does it mean to not do this for one plan, but for all my plans, not, not for a, a thousand assets, but for a hundred thousand assets. And there are new mechanisms that come into play. Um, if uh, I'm working now with the clients, we're, we're talking about 25,000 assets in one warehouse. Can you imagine if, if you have only an accuracy of 99%, yeah? that means that 1% is creating for three weeks of rework every single month. So that's unacceptable. So we're coming at an age where the Internet of Things needs to be very industrialized, very, very rigid. And also the European Commission has understood that. Uh, hence, you see all of a sudden the uptake of new regulations. The second thing they've realized is that they're missing quite some revenue all of a sudden on these digital platforms. And they also want to, to take that on board. Uh, maybe to take one step back, we noticed for ourselves that talking about the term Internet of Things and making money out of the Internet of Things is a bit outdated. It's like saying, I'm making money with the Internet. Um, 
yes, I'm doing e-commerce. Um, and that's a way that you are ge generating new types of revenue. But for Internet of Things, it's now, as Selena is mentioning it, what is the industrial use case? What is the connected product that I want to launch in the market? And therefore, what can it cost? So we see the conversation shifting and becoming somewhat more mature. So I think we're in a good space compared to last year. Last year, we've seen a lot of evolution. And now the big players are, are at play, which means that the evolution is going ever faster. And of course, uh, Helena talked about, uh, will 5G do something here? And will edge compute have a role to play? Absolutely. We've, we've done a, uh, in an industrial consortium, we've done a, a full 5G deployment just to accelerate the, the, the data connectivity within the area of a port. Yeah? And what we see is, uh, yes, the, the backbone is now there. We can connect instead of 10,000 or 50,000 devices, we can connect 150,000 or 250,000 all under the same infrastructure. That we could not do in the past uh, uh, anywhere close. Huh? You see other uh, initiatives like in, in the US, you have all of a sudden AWS Sidewalk huh? creating also a universal connectivity. So connectivity is all around, whether it's 5G or other types of network, which makes uh, it is easy to find a connectivity option today. So therefore, it's easy to create a connected product. But what's the value of that connected product if you don't define it properly, not together with your client or not, not with your supply chain, etc. You're still uh, tossing money down the drain. So for us, it now counts in defining the, the right use case and therefore the architecture that goes with that. And that's, that's where we see a lot of uh, difficulties emerging that we're, we're coming with the Rolls Royce uh, of, of the platform. And while we might need a fiat to go to the supermarket, huh? <laughs> so uh, that, that's where we have to really take care of, of, of all of these crucial decisions that have to be made in this ecosystem. Thank you. Thank you both. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's always very interesting how people talk about development in IoT and from a slightly different perspective and a slightly different angle. And it's, and it's really interesting to see how, Tim, when we were first speaking on, on the first time that you were on the show to, to put compared to now, the different challenges actually and the different struggles that, that people are going through. Um, the regulations aspect that you mentioned and the, and the financial challenges around actually how, how specifically do you make money from this and how do organizations do that? Because you're right, you know, I, I see IoT really as the, as the plumbing, but not actually delivering the water. It's just the infrastructure, right? It's just the actual mechanism by which you do it. So it's... Um, it's useful, it's useful, you know, to, to understand that. Just two things on this, which would be useful to understand a little bit more, um, is the new regulations that are coming. Like why, why are regulations coming in now? How is it taken, you know, to this time? Is it a maturity aspect or, or, or is that driven through uh, finance or governance? What, what's your guys' views on that? Because that'd be interesting to, to talk about. Well, I think, um... We, we had to launch an initiative uh, within Deloitte that assesses the impact of all new regulations coming out of the, on the market in a preparation for the EU digital gate. You have to understand these are kind of 17 different regulations that all have a different uh, impact on the way that we will have to develop IT solutions. I think two of the most important ones 
the, the, the Cyber Resilient Act, which will actually come into force on um, August 1, 2025. This regulation sets a, uh, a, a minimum cybersecurity requirement for consumer products, including IoT devices. Uh, uh, what, what will it do? It, it actually tells you on how to distribute security updates, uh, monitor the security of a product, uh, test around security vulnerability, making sure that the user's data is protected, it's well managed and it's protected. Uh, also, the financial data is, is protected. You have to receive the opportunity to manage and delete your own data, um, but all in the, in the light of improving the security of your IT device. Why is that? We've noticed that uh, there is an, an, an ever-increasing attack surface. Uh, your IT assets are down in the field. People can tamper with it, therefore find an access point into your organization. And, or, and we see the, the, the rise of the cybersecurity attacks. Yeah? We see also sometimes a bit of a confusion. Um, we have launched an update for one of the machines and all of a sudden it thinks that instead of a microwave, it is a coffee, uh, a, a coffee uh, machine. Yeah? All, and, and, and the device becomes unusable. Uh, so in order to protect these consumer devices, these regulations try to um, um, protect the end user's ability to, to have full control. I think the second one, and that's even more critical, is this, the, the, what we call the, the national, infrastructure, national Infrastructure Security, so the Critical Infrastructure Resilience Act that will come into play um, by 2024. There's already a piece that came into play in July, but here we are trying to protect our very critical assets. Can you imagine the uh, everything that has to do around energy, uh, water, uh, so the overall critical infrastructure. And we see that IoT is an essential part to that infrastructure, uh, but also um, the ones that are supplying food, uh, food distribution, uh, uh, and um, uh, well, let, let's say in general, everything that has to do with our personal safety. So this will have to adhere to, to make sure that we have a infrastructure backbone that is resilient to, to come with all of our, uh, to cover all of our needs. So that means that all manufacturers will really need to spend more time in the cybersecurity of the products. They will become more expensive. They will need to uh, pass on the cost of, of com complying with all of these different regulations um, to ensure that everybody has more control. That is a really big evolution. And that comes, in my opinion, with the, the understanding of the European Commission that AI and IT have a tremendous impact on how machines and IT devices need to be built. So it's a maturity thing that all of a sudden we see that uh, there is a risk by implementing these solutions without actually thinking about how to make them resilient. It's to make sure that there is more trust am amongst the consumer and the businesses because we don't actually know what happens with our data when it's up to the cloud. So yes, it's an evolution of what we thought uh, to be something very simple, in my opinion. Yeah, if, if I may add, on one hand, um, when our clients ask a question, what is this whole fit for digital age regulation portfolio and who is going to be impacted? The short answer I typically give, if you have a chip in anything you do, you're impacted. So it's, it's that simple. At the same time, 
I think it gives the right safeguards. It provides sort of the rules of the road, how to build these solutions. It may feel a little bit overwhelming, but it just gives you the guidebook, right? This, these are your rules of the road. And one thing that we've done a number of years ago when we started our practice, we said, okay, whatever solutions we are going to build, we will always make sure that they're going to be secure by design, right? So we brought in the cyber element to it immediately before we even start coding anything that is part of the design. GDPR went into effect. And our second promise was now everything will be compliant with privacy by design, right? So now all of these new regulations are coming, again, extra security layer, the semiconductor chip act, how the equipment will be manufactured. There is this whole you know, list. Uh, again, AI act, very controversial. <laughs> um, we just want to make sure we are prepared, we understand it, and we include it as part of our design, and we do it properly from the beginning as opposed to doing you know, clean up afterwards. So I think that's, that's sort of a shift in mentality and uh, I, uh, Tim sits in Brussels, I sit in Amsterdam. We have 22 lawyers. That's all they do full time, monitor these regulations and try to educate us. And uh, Tim, you have plenty of your lawyers with EU being in Brussels as well. So it's just something that becomes a norm. And um, may, what, what I also see, there are some technologies will be much more in demand for the way forward, right? So I want to bring one example. Um, one of our partners, a company called Fairpoint, um, they have a platform called Digital Asset Broker, which basically takes a simple SIM, put an extra agent on it, and that SIM becomes a container, blockchain protected, with every possible security certificate that comes with it. So what does it happen? It gives you extra security on the edge. As Tim mentioned, these devices are sitting somewhere, right? They are not mended or looked after. You want to make sure they're secure. So gives it security. Now, because it's secure and it has its own identity, you know, you could actually participate in trade just because you know the thing became an identified thing. And you can use that thing as a wallet or a payment mechanism. So it's the whole, it's, it's, it's the beginning of the economy of things. And I kind of look at it as it's, it's an evolution of the IoT, is the economy of things, where things will be extremely amazing. <laughs> Imagine your car pay for itself once you finish your, you know, uh, charging at the at the electrics, I don't know, shell recharge or whatever you're using to charge your electric car, or you know, it will pay my house because I'm using my electric batteries to charge my car. So this whole shift in the economy and how we're going to be seeing things. Yeah, it will be a compliant, but that's just sort of where things are going, which is super exciting, um, makes our job very, very, very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just on that note around the economy of things, Helena, I think, um, you know, Ch China is quite well heralded for this, actually, already being advanced. I think if you, if you, um, I think it's WeChat, things are already mm -hmm. automatically done. So, you know, they, they, they'll monitor it with cameras and automatically discount the you know, the payment from your, from your, from your card. And I actually think, well, look, that is the way that we're going, but, but this is also why regulations are important. I think outside of, of, of a legal practice, sometimes when you hear regulations, it gives connotations to something quite stale or a little bit draconian, but actually it's really important, isn't it? To protect yeah. the consumer, to protect the, the business that's using it, to ensure that this is done in the right way yeah. and adhering by certain principles. 
Um, and I think it's been needed for IoT for a while because it's a little bit like the Wild West sometimes without <laughs> this, isn't it? Yes. You know, yes. You, really, you know, you really don't know actually how these things are going to, you know, work together and, and what that means. So I, I think in general, a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, but it's a, it's a good thing at one hand. And, and now that we have some regulations, it will certainly help us to put the right guard lays around around product development. But then, then there's still some choices that have to be made around what is the ideal tax scheme linked to your product? Because at certain point, uh, there is a mentioning of where is now value being created? Is it in the plant where you do edge analytics and uh, for predictive maintenance, for instance? Are you generating additional profit in that plant, so in that part of the world? And should we tax it there? Or is it, should it be taxed in, your, uh, in the data center that you have set as to be your central processing unit? Yeah, but the, the, the impact can be quite significant. So when you are designing architectures for your clients, you have to take into account not only uh, secure by design, but also what is the best business model and how can the, the distribution of resources actually aid into having an optimal uh, profit share. So it's it's quite uh, difficult for clients to be in this situation today. So we see the opportunity, but there are some challenges that we have to overcome by good design, by having guardrails into place so that the innovations that we do serve the end user, serve the cities that we are working for or in, and serve the businesses that we try to uh, gain more uh, gain profitability. Uh, so mm -hmm. it, it is a quite complex a system to, to navigate yourself in. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point, Tim. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's almost like, um, you know, when you when you used to code, you know, many years ago for resource constrained devices, right? You wouldn't have that much memory. So you had to make sure the code was efficient. You had the, you had the guardrails, you had the, you know, the, the parameters in which you had to work by. So yes, on the one hand, it provides a level of comfort, but actually, it does, you know, by default, add a layer of complexity also to how you deliver that solution. But I think as a as a playoff, actually, it's 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 probably the right playoff to have, isn't it? You know, it, whilst it's slightly more complex, it is actually being harnessed and done in the right way, and that, that people should seek comfort from that and understanding that the regulations are there to protect and, and serve their purpose. Um, so uh, it's, uh, you know, it is, it is an interesting time. And I, I think you touched on, I think I heard the AI word once, um, but we can't avoid it. I think actually it's, it's, it's a really interesting time at the moment for IoT because all of the hype seems to move towards AI and generative AI and, and different aspects of AI, even quantum AI we've spoken about on the podcast recently. So, you know, does that mean that we can actually get on and start to build stuff now? and we can actually start to do things when the hype has died down and so that's my first question do you believe that with the hype turning away does that mean that we can advance um, where we're going but also can we converge these together so can we use AI with IoT and if so and um, what is Deloitte doing about that at the moment oh I love this question Tom um, Tim is it okay if I start or would you yeah, do the go pleasure ahead, go ahead <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I think um, the world already converged for many of us 
Um, we have regular debate with Tim. Why do we still call ourselves IoT practitioners when we spend more time with generative AI topic, for example, or, you know, edge? <laughs> um, I, I, in my mind, generative AI is not really a hype. It's just became more real right now and more affordable. And there are two ways how at least our practice looks at it. On one side, there is a tremendous value you could achieve by using generative AI as you build your solutions, right? Because what is IoT solution? At the end of the day, it's a software. It's a code that's written, right? And using some of the tooling that is coming right now um, in, in this family of generative AI, like OpenAI or, you know, you name it, Copilot, you can write your code, you can debug your code, you could optimize your code, you could structure your code, most importantly, you can document because that's not something developers like to do. It's a boring thing. It's, uh, and you can test it. So if you build new things, leveraging the uh, generative AI capabilities, we use it ourselves. We, use, we do it for our clients. It's just becoming a norm, right? Um, as far as another way to look at generative AI is what can you do within your solution solution in keeping generative AI as a capability. And I think with that one, we have been very cautious, at least in some of the discussions we had, the opportunities are endless, but this is precisely where you have to really follow the guardrails and think about how the information is gonna be used, how you're gonna deal with you know, all of these potential hallucinations or whatever the model might have. Is there a potential harm that might happen just because you didn't think about everything ahead of time? So I think that is also a massive, exciting topic, huge opportunity, but intentionally, maybe subconsciously, we are being very cautious as we approach embedding that into our solutions. I'm going to pause for a minute, and Tim, please share your views as well on this. Yeah. Um... A slightly different view. Um, if you would, AI was always there. Huh? AI is is is, all, is already uh, alive uh, bef before uh, uh, before I was born, right? And I'm 45 years old, so you can. Yeah, it's it's, hey, it's from the 50s, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, now all of a sudden there is an, a renewed attention to what AI can mean. Uh, uh, small AI or more bigger AI. Huh? Uh, to make an IT solution work, you will always need AI. Somebody needs to process the signals. If it's a human, it will go crazy. I worked for a company uh, trying to do the uh, optimizer processes. Uh, you have about 1,000 signals to process in seven seconds. A human will not do that. So you need pattern recognition uh, in order to know what you what you need to do. Uh, we we done that. We recognize the pattern. We Give something to the operator, you now have three choices, which is the one that you want to make. Basically, it's always the same thing that the operator had in, in mind. So now we automate that full process. We go from, uh, in that specific case, from 40 quality complaints per month to zero. Very easy case, a combination of sensoring, uh, sensing a lot of things, leveraging AI to process all of the signals and having a human, um, uh, augmented uh, human cap capability. Uh, in that process, uh, AI was always there. Huh? Um, now there is a renewed attention to it. All of a sudden, it seems like AI can solve the world's biggest problems, and probably it can. 
but it comes with a, with a significant responsibility. Um, MIT describes this in three roles. You have at one, something that will create the AI, which can be AI itself, like Copilot, as, as Selena has mentioned. Uh, then you need somebody that explains AI. How does that large language model now actually work? For OpenAI, from, for ChatGPT, we still don't know exactly how these different links were made. So it's still a bit of a black box. And somebody needs to explain on what, what's the logic inside. Because if we can't explain it, we will not trust it. You've seen that in many of our projects, there needs to be some sort of trust. Today, we give it silly questions, huh? like um, how many uh, cats exist in the world? And ChatGPT will certainly give you that answer. That answer, it might be a hallucinated answer, but if you don't trust it, you don't use it in a thesis or, or, or in a research. Then the third role that MIT describes is the AI sustainer to ensure that what we are writing is unbiased, is fair, is ethical. And we, as Lloyd, have created a framework called the Trustworthy AI, which we apply on our offer IT solutions as well. Is it fair? Has it been well designed? Uh, do we can do we uh, have full traceability of the code? Are there any missteps that we can verify that everything is running properly? So that in the end, whatever is being decided by the machine, uh, uh, that it is indeed doing everything according to what a human thinks is fair. Uh, that is a very difficult thing within AI because fair is rules that you have programmed, is a legal framework. Uh, it is not what sometimes the human thinks what is right or wrong. Uh, something can be legal and still not the right choice. Huh? Like uh, in military conditions, the reconnaissance uh, man is a military operation, therefore you have the right uh, to take action on it. The, the, the human in the mix will take very cautious choices. The AI would not have to do that because it has a framework on which it can decide. If you pull that through all of the different applications, AI can be used for good, and it can be used for bad, but it can be used for quite dodgy things as well. So we have a quite the responsibility now more than ever to really build trustworthy solutions. That's not going to be an easy thing to do. Huh? So yes, we collect data on you as a human uh, when you have a wearable, but how are we going to use that in order to create your convenience, uh, etc.? Uh, your vacuum cleaner knows when you're at home. Huh? How is that data is going to be used? Is it is it well protected so that nobody can hack that system and knows well now is a good time to go and uh, and and rob your house huh? because you're not there. So it comes with a lot of responsibility, and I think we should not take it lightly. Huh? Uh, it, it is a very mo important moment for all companies developing IT solutions to do that in a proper manner. Mm. I, I completely agree. Thank you both for sharing such valuable insights on that. I mean, we, um, we're hearing a lot about this at the moment, aren't we, in the press about, you know, open letters around stalling progress um, or, you know, having watermarking solutions to, to ensure that that data and the, the original content is the, the actual original content. Um, something that something personal to me, actually, uh, I was involved in recently, I, I actually did a DNA test for um, checking my, as an enhanced kind of blood test uh, for um, understanding the body and how I can make tweaks in the body for, for health and fitness. And I was reading through some of the privacy policies, et cetera, but you've got to be so careful now because I'm not the, just the only one that's doing that, right? You know, you've got hundreds of thousands of people doing this. So I think 
you're right. If we're converging these together, the the uh, the ability to keep and harness this data in the right way uh, is a really really critical one. So um, um, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. Actually, um, yeah, certainly over time. Yeah, I think Tom. One thing that um, we always keep in mind, and I think Tim used the word responsible three times, right? Um, and the word trust. Um, for us, um, it comes with also, um, yes, it's ethics, it's morale, it's being compliant. It's about making sure whatever we do is responsible in nature and trusted and uh, all the other things. But there is also a massive thing to kind of think about is your reputation. It just takes one tiny incident and that's it. You you are on the front page of the news, right? So that is um, that comes with trust, and it has a cost, and it has a little bit of a you know way of thinking. But the the, the for, for for a lot of big brands we work with, it's also we talk about their reputation as well, huh? Besides, so all the other aspects uh, you covered. Yeah, yeah. Thank thank you, Helena. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a great point because the reputation takes a long time to build, and can very quickly. Mm-hmm quickly change right exactly it's a good it's a good point um to to, to moving forward to the future then obviously we've spoken about the convergence of ai and you know what that looks like in the iot industry um talking about long-term financial viability with some of your customers around iot ventures you know how can customers uh ensure that they get that longer term when everything is changing at such a quick pace what advice would you give to some people to ensure that uh you know, this, they're going to make some money from this. Well, uh, big question. Can <laughs> make money. I think we talked about the previous case, uh, previous time about the case with one of my clients. Uh, we looked into their energy consumption. Actually, added some sensors on their machines. We saw that there were some of these um, high-consuming, high-energy-consuming machines. Uh, their performance was not aligned with the process. No? So it was a furnace, for instance. You heat up that furnace, uh, that takes an enormous amount of energy, but then you have to make sure that the throughput of what you go put through that furnace is aligned with with the, the actual uh, temperature um, uh, uh, that is required. Uh, sometimes heating up something in, in 15 minutes uh, requires 50, 60, 70% more, date, uh, more, more energy if you would do that on an hour when that process actually needs to be up and running. So we were able to save uh, on a gas bill, a gas and electricity bill, about 15 to, to, to 17% per, um, per month. Huh? But for this client, that means saving that amount on a uh, gas bill of 200,000 euros per day. So yes, there is an enormous amount of gain if you do this properly. So now we have implemented a couple of sensors. We know exactly the performance uh, which is um, currently at the table, what we need to have an optimum process, and therefore we can create quite the impact. It's not always going to be a couple of 10,000 euros per machine per day, but the incremental value, if you do it on a shop floor somewhere, is certainly there. Um, For another one, we actually uh, looked at their cold chain and the, the protection of the cold chain. We were able to go from a active cooling to a passive cooling uh, in terms of sustainability. Very important choice. Huh? 
uh, also the chemicals which are being used in an active cooling is not to be underestimated so that the whole switch is leading to a lower energy bill of around 20 percent again significant numbers that you can achieve uh, understanding your customers and what is being used in the products uh, knowing therefore that i don't need to focus on these uh, additional features but just focus on the other ones is a very important learning for an r d department so there is um, uh, pockets of value everywhere down the down the chain. You just have to figure out which are the right ones to focus on when you start with such, an, such a, a project. But I have seen very successful projects going on uh, lately um, with, with many of our clients. And, and Helena, you have seen many interesting things as well. Absolutely, Tim. Thank you. I have some other examples of industrial siting, what Tim was, was talking about. The interesting thing is even 1% makes a huge difference if you think about the, the, the value. But I want to give a couple of other examples, maybe uh, from a different industry, where the actual impact and the value is not always monetary. It's a little bit more different way of measuring it. I'll give you two kind of extreme examples. One is... Um, uh, for a number of years, uh, we've been working in uh, healthcare innovation space with a couple of strategic partners, and uh, we leveraged 5G technology and AI to develop solutions for digital surgery. And specific use case we started with uh, was a heart transplant surgery, where the latency and timing is everything for saving patients' life. So. Um, the, the exact use case was um, when somebody is on a uh, uh, you know transplant list for a new heart, um, you once the donor is found, you have only two hours for the heart to be shifted yeah? to, for the surgery to take place. And a lot of times the location where you know let's say a fatal accident happened can be a hundred kilometers away. Yeah? So the whole process, of sending a team of specialists to, to the scene of the accident where a, a potential donor might be examining the heart, saying, yes, it's okay, preparing the patient in the academic hospital where the transplant will be, uh, you know, the operation will be conducted. Every second counts. And leveraging 5G technology, uh, the visual analytics, the AI capabilities, sending the video feed to the surgeon who is with a patient who is about to receive a new heart, from a location, you know, 70 kilometers away, just making sure that is possible saves a person's life, right? And if you are leading this transplant division in an academic hospital and you do 50, 60 surgeries a year, which is a large number, actually, um, that sort of capability, which is technically is an IoT solution, right? But it enables something that would improve life actually saves life right so that's that's one kind of an extreme example where the outcome is there life is saved that's really amazing to to see it and you know be part of this and 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 seeing how 5g technology really brings the capability i mean like when you are a surgeon and you have these goggles if you don't have 5g you have latency and it makes you dizzy the last thing you want is an operating surgeon who gets dizzy in or right 
And you, you just can't, because your brain, you know, deals with the latency. So you, you need to make sure it's a flawless communication. So this is just one example of something we've been working on. And of course, we want to, you know, take it to, to, to more, uh, more, more people to benefit from solutions like that, this whole digital surgery domain. But, you know, <laughs> technology needs to be ready, right? It kind of depends on a number of things. And I think the other thing is, and this is something Tim, is, uh, Tim and I are working on as well, is uh, bringing the whole full trace traceability in a cargo chain, knowing your container, knowing your thing, you know, and dealing with topics like illicit trade or drug trafficking or human trafficking. Again, you need to have a sensor, you need to have information, you need to have connectivity, you need to have integration with authorities and permission to play and be fully compliant. But that's another thing where IoT solutions are in demand, right? basically in illicit trade domain. And that's something that we are working on together as well with a couple of select partners to, you know, create value. Of course, there will be a business case. Huh? <laughs> of course, just track and trace visibility and predictability of the point of arrival of a shipment is already huge value, right? Imagine the, the days of COVID when the supply chains were so broken that you just didn't know you couldn't put a car together, half of the parts were missing, right? So that whole business value of supply chain traceability and visibility, but then you think about taking it further towards topics like illicit trade, which have massive impact on our society. Yeah, yeah. I think there's some, some, some fantastic examples and, and again, shows the breadth of the work that you're doing with Deloitte, right? You know, with so many different customers and so many different use cases. It's really quite amazing, actually. Um, as we come to near the end of the show, guys, um, one of the questions that we always ask is um, a kind of prediction for the future. Now, actually, um, along along all of the episodes we've had this year, we've been talking about predictions for 2023. But I'd like to go one step further and say a prediction for next year, actually, as we're coming to the latter parts of, uh, of 2023 now. And if I could start with maybe you, Tim, what one prediction do you have? for IoT that you hope to see in 2024? Well, uh, there are a couple of technical evolutions that we see happening. Yeah? So the containerization of, uh, of IT code is certainly something that will make it easier yeah? to get a, uh, a code from a central location or an algorithm from a central location to an edge compute. And that's gonna uh, make IoT more manageable, and that is certainly needed because we hardly know what kind of version of software is on our devices, how it needs to be updated, and we have a legal obligation to know. Um, so that's certainly going to improve. So technically, I see a lot of evolution uh, coming our way, uh, quite the investments of all of the hyperscalers into that space. Um, overall, I think uh, Edge AI, um, so making the edge a lot smarter will, 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 it's today already a reality, but the adoption is, is happening now at the more mature clients. It's very hard to do that, by the way, because it's easy to talk about edge AI. It's very hard to implement a distributed intelligence system that knows when to learn, that knows when to go and get its updated algorithm from a central location and put it back into, into its uh, architecture. Yeah? So that is certainly something where I've seen all of these uh, IT platform vendors to invest a lot. That's trend number one. Excellent. Thank you, Tim. And Helena, how about you? Well, I'd like to 
I would like to completely agree with Tim, and maybe this is a, a trend, or maybe it's my wishful thinking. <laughs> but the whole edge AI topic and the fact that edge is becoming much more intelligent, that is happening. And um, there are many examples, including having like a cloud in a car in one box. It's one of the things we've been working with one of the semi players. It's there, but it's not really adapted at the right price point yet. Eh? Mm. But it's I think it's heading there. So the edge is becoming smarter. But the other thing that I would really like to see, and I think it's getting there. Don't know if it's 12 months horizon or 24, but the friction in data exchanges, right? At this point in time, Every time we build the IoT solution, we always need to think about 15 different protocols and different communication ways. So, so, so I really, really would like to see less variety and more commonality because that, that variety creates unnecessary friction, complexity, and cost. And getting it more streamlined will allow us to kind of roll out IoT solutions and hopefully you saw examples of some of them much faster. At the right price. Well, yeah, well, a wonderful way to articulate it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, you know, for me, the, I, I'd agree with you. One of the things I'd love to see, and that I'm seeing at the moment, is, you know, advancements of the edge. Um, you know, and you know, companies like New School Sensors, Peak Warden, what people are doing there when it comes to tiny ML on IoT-based devices. I think it's, um, I think it's really fantastic what's happening and some of the, you know, the, the steps that are being made there. So thank you so much. Um, and, and I guess lastly, where can people find out more about the Deloitte IoT practice information on, on what you guys do? I assume you have a website, some socials perhaps? We do. We do. Um, we have at, at Deloitte.com, type in IoT or Industry 4, you'll get a huge amount of information. Uh, you could reach out to us on LinkedIn, so we could plug you into our blogs and you know publications. Um, every country, uh, wherever you are, will probably have a little corner on the local website besides Deloitte.com. So there are multiple ways how you could find us. And maybe they could contact you, Tom, and then maybe. you will make an introduction for us. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, I'm sure we can come to some agreement. Absolutely. Lovely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much, Tim. Thank you, Helena, for coming on to the show. It's, it's been great. I, I really enjoyed the conversation last time with you, Tim, and, and it's been lovely to meet you, Helena. I think I think what you're doing at Deloitte and the, and the breadth and sheer kind of knowledge that you have in-house in the practice, which is, what, seven, eight years old, as you said, uh, is really quite impressive. So thank you for sharing your insights and coming on to the IoT podcast show. Oh, Thanks, pleasure. Tom, for the invitation. Always thank nice. you for having us. Thanks for tuning in to the IoT podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're on. See you next week for more IoT talks and tales.